here a little earlier witnessed the baptism of Gavin that was mentioned in our announcements and even in our prayer. Made me think of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, for on that very day there were many that did what Gavin did. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of one's sins, confessing Jesus as the Son of God, being buried with Him in baptism for the remission of sins. And what a wonderful way to begin an evening. Consider when that happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. The Bible says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What a beautiful thought. And notice it was a life that that didn't mean that things were over. When an individual such as Gavin obeys the gospel, life does not end. The old man of sin is crucified with Christ. We have buried him, Romans 6, 4 through 6. And we are raised to walk in a newness of life. And according to Paul in Galatians 2.20, the life which we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. And it is a life that continues to be just that. Even the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 and verse 20, he reminded them how they had not learned Christ. Here's how he has learned them. Or here's how they had learned of Christ. He said, if so be the truth that is in Jesus, what they had obeyed, he reminded them to put off the old man and to be renewed in the spirit of their mind, and to put on the new man who is created in righteousness and true holiness. In other words, when we become Christians, then our lives need to be lives that are new in Christ, new creations in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Life changes. We don't live the old way any longer. We live a new life in Christ Jesus that the world will see. We are to live with an example before others that reflect what we know as a revival of faithfulness. As we consider this theme this week, we come tonight to where I'd like you and I to consider a matter that Sometimes people like to use this argument very convenient to justify themselves. But on the other hand, there may be some validity to it if we in the churches of Christ, if we in the church are to live a life of a proper example and a light before others and to let our light shine. I want you to consider with me from Think Magazine in December of 2013, the survey results of why I left the church. Please notice this with me. Between legalism, hypocrisy, and doctrine, you have the top three factors that turn people away 
from the church. And those are all related to what the church teaches from the Bible. If a church doesn't teach the Bible properly or have answers for difficult questions, or if the people in the church don't reflect the love of Christ, which should be the defining mark of the church, John 13, 34, people will leave. Tonight and two nights ago, we talked about legalism and what legalism is not. When there are those that wish to point the legalism finger at members of the Church of Christ, they actually are mistaken with the definition in its application. But I would like for you and I to consider tonight that word hypocrisy. Of course, there are individuals that will conveniently say, I would not go to church at, and you can fill in the blank, because they are a bunch of, and you've heard it, hypocrites. And it's a very convenient excuse for people to use. Does it surprise you that the individuals that complain of folks living a hypocritical life, that they're not living the right kind of life for the Lord to begin with? And I say that with all kindness. It's like trying to get the beam of the speck out of our eyes when there's a beam in their eyes to use Matthew 7, 3 through 5. I have come across on occasion those that wish to use that. And to be honest, folks, a lot of times I just kind of walk away from it. It's just, it's what they want to use. But recently at the Eastside Congregation, I did make an offer that if anybody in that area says, I don't want to be have anything to do with the church because of hypocrisy, then I'll make an offer to you. Number one, you get your life right first. Romans 2.6 reminds us that all of us will respond to the Lord and the Lord will reward to every man according to His, that's singular, Deeds. We all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and we all sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So number one, get your life right first with the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. No one else. When you pass from this life, you will not be judged by the hypocrites, but you will be judged by the Father, by the Son, 2 Timothy 4.8. Number one, you get your life right first, and then I'll tell you what we'll do. When you get your life right first, then you sit down and you make out a list of every hypocrite in this building and bring it to me, and you and I will go talk to every one of them individually. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters and friends, would you like to take a guess how many people have taken me up on that offer? If you guess zero, you guess correctly, you win a prize. You see, folks, we reach for that. Folks reach for it. But now, will you allow me to, to think about the quote that we've read? And, and do consider with me. To a certain extent, 
hypocritical, unfaithful lives can turn people off, can cause people to think if that's what Christianity is all about, I am doing just as well, in reality, just as bad as they are. You know, we are taught to be new creations in Christ. We're taught to live lives that are lights in the world. Matthew 5, 16. In Titus 2 and verse 8, we're reminded to have sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. We are to live the right kind of lives faithfully before the Lord first and foremost and to encourage one another as we see in Acts 2, 46 and 47 and other passages that deal with edifying one another, building up one another, Hebrews 10, 22 through 25 and others. But we need to make certain that how does the world see us? Are we putting forth the right life before other people? You've probably heard the illustration of the preacher that got on in a new town, got on a bus. He paid to ride the bus and the bus driver gave him back too much change. As the preacher was getting off the bus, he didn't realize it at first that he got off the bus he gave the extra change back to the driver. And actually, the driver was doing a test. He wanted to see how honest that new preacher in town really was. And the man was impressed and said, I will see you at church Sunday. You never know who's watching. You never know who's looking. You never know who's listening. We need to consider these things as we consider a revival to faithfulness. And so, yes, I've heard the accusations. I've heard the discussions of... And you think about it, folks. It's really far. Okay, look. I wouldn't go to church there because that church is full of nothing but hypocrites. You mean to tell me that everyone in that building is... There's not one good soul in there... Well, you know what I mean. See, once again, folks, it can swing to the excuse, and most of the time is, but yet we cannot ignore the fact that how we, if you will, how we act in the Lord's house, are we acting that way in our houses? What people see here, does the world see the same out there in the workplace, in school, in our relationships. came across something interesting a couple of months ago. I thought this was rather interesting. It was asking a question, why do people choose a church? And I found the top two answers rather interesting. The top two answers, 34% were invited by a friend and 22% had the respect of the members. They respected the members. They knew somebody there. They knew the kind of life they lived or they were invited by a friend. Well, over half of the responses showed a specific 
example, a specific influence in their lives. Either a friend that invited them, that they trusted to go along with them, or respect of members or people that they knew there and they had a good thought about the church. Remember Acts 2, 46 and 47, that they, as they were in the temple and house to house, they were pleasing before God and before man, that people would speak highly of them. Wherever they were, it was consistent. So tonight, let you and I, as we think about a revival to faithfulness, come forward with a reply to hypocrisy. Now, we've already dealt with an answer that could be expressed, but I'd like for us to dig a little deeper and stop and think that if we are all living the kind of lives for Jesus as we should as Christians, then we do eliminate the accusation, the accuracy of the accusation of hypocrisy. I'd like for you and I to think tonight about the mind of Christ. I want us to look at two texts tonight, two points, the lesson's yours. And let us look at the mind of Christ and look at what He has provided. And let us, as we revive our faithfulness, put those things into action. First of all, when you and I think about the mind of Christ in a reply to hypocrisy, the mind of Christ serves. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice this with me about our Savior, Jesus Christ. First of all, notice the first F. He came in the form of God. We know that from examples such as Matthew 1 and verse 21, when the angel said that a virgin would bring forth a son and would call his name Emmanuel, which meaning God with us. That Jesus Christ would come into the world, the God in the form of man, God in flesh. God as if you, as in the song in Christ alone, as helpless babe. That God came into the world in flesh. John 1 and verse 1 reminds us, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 reminds us how the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And then that verse concludes that He was full of grace and of truth. This is a fundamental truth that we spoke of briefly last evening under the umbrella of to encourage our young people to never lose their faith in God. 
to embrace that Jesus Christ is deity, is God, and was the only man that ever walked the face of this earth who was both human and divine, and not another one was like Him. Tragically, as Brother Walter said in his prayer earlier, we are living in a nation today where some do not want to regard God nor Christ. But there is not a one that can redeem the sins of man other than Christ. There has been not one that has shed blood enough to save one soul other than Christ. The form of God. Believing in Christ, His deity, or here is one divine that came in the flesh as God to save man. Notice the second F, if you will, from this text. The form of a servant. John 13, where Jesus took the towel and washed the disciples' feet. He was a servant. Matthew 11 and verse 29, in that great invitation, how He is meek and lowly in heart, a servant How Jesus Himself in Matthew 20 and verse 28 said that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus not only came into the world as God in the flesh, but came very humble and was a servant unto those that He came across. And He taught His followers how to serve. Notice the third F, if you will. Being found in fashion as a man. What did He do? Humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. God in the flesh. Serving fellow man. Fashioned His obedience. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he'd suffered. And how Jesus himself was obedient unto death, as we see here in Philippians 2 in verse 8, carrying forth the will of God. A reply to hypocrisy would be for you and I to take the mind of Christ we see here, match it into our lives, make it our lives, And remember that we are the servants of God. This is why Paul would say in Romans 6 verse 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Watch with me carefully. As God came into the world through His Son, notice that we thank God that we can have that mind of Christ. It all begins with Him. Notice, if you will, that we are the servants of righteousness learning how to serve from our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world and served others. Notice third, if you will, that it is done because we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered us. And that as our Savior was obedient unto death, 
that we are to be obedient individuals. Ladies and gentlemen, quite simply, that is a key reply to hypocrisy. To express and to have the mind of Christ as we are servants to this world to reach out with the greatest message, the only message that can redeem man, the gospel. Imagine, if you will, if every member of the Lord's church, every Christian, would just teach one and win one to Christ. That's a revival in and of itself. And if we will look upon ourselves and our revival to faithfulness as servants, and that we may press onward, there's from time to time, there will be discussions among preachers of, you know, preachers hold this meeting and hold that meeting. And he speaks on this lectureship and he speaks on that lectureship. And this preacher's invited here and this preacher is invited there. And, and, and sometimes there's been the mentality that you haven't, quote unquote, arrived as a preacher until you get invited everywhere. I read that. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this. Preacher, elder, deacon, whatever the case might be. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters and friends, let me tell you when we arrived. We arrived when the servant our Savior took our sins of Calvary's heel and was crucified for me and for you. That's when we arrived. And it's a great place to live. It's the best place to live. And if we will focus on being servants, not what's done to us, but what we do and how we serve others. Do you think that's the mind of Christ that the world will see and will want to know more about our Savior? That's one of the best replies to hypocrisy that I know. That we serve as in the mind of Christ as He served. Now that will revive our faithfulness. If the elders of the Fountainhead Church of Christ serve as shepherds, serve as elders, as the bishops, and yes, even the pastors. Did you know, dear friends, in the New Testament, pastors were not the preachers. Pastors are elders. Now imagine if elders are serving or tending to their sheep, seeing their needs. Imagine that deacons, and the word deacon itself means servant, that would carry through his work diligently. And then every member have the servant attitude that what can I do to serve in the Lord? What can I do to hold up the hands and encourage our elders? What can I do to help the deacons? What can I do to help the preachers? And if all of us 
have that servant attitude, imagine the brightness of light from every congregation of the Lord's church. We are thinking of others rather than ourselves. And it seems like before we came to Philippians 2.5, that's Philippians 2.4. Sure is hard for a person to call you a hypocrite if you're serving them. Can I give you a second one? And a reply to hypocrisy, not only the mind of Christ serves, but the mind of Christ supplies. Consider with me now 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the second text I'd like for us to look at tonight. Verses 5 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 11. I want to read this, then I want to bring it up on the screen and break it down into three parts. Now, going from verse 5, or to verse 5, from verses 3 and 4, we see individuals that according to the divine power, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Rather than me tell you what it says, let's just read it. Verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's a Christian. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, that obedient faith, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance or self-control, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now watch. For if these things, what things, 5 through 7, be in you and abound, they shall make you that you shall neither be, or they make you, that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The mind of Christ does not only serve, the mind of Christ supplies. It gives us what we need. Consider, if you will, when we take a look at verses 5 through 7. Notice, if you will, the additions of grace. Notice once again... The Christian's life doesn't stop when one comes out of the waters of baptism in newness of life. I have just noticed there is not a window here, and I'm going to be careful backing up. The life does not end when the person comes out of the waters of baptism. The old man of sin is buried and is done away with and is raised to walk in a newness of life. Notice with me, walk in newness. That means there is motion, there's a new way to live. 
And so we take that obedient faith and we add in the additions of grace. How about virtue? That's just simple moral goodness. Thinking on things that are good and honest and pure, good report, etc., such as Philippians 4, 8. Consider, if you will, adding to that good moral goodness, knowledge. You know, sometimes a person will not obey the gospel because they say, Jeff, I'm afraid I don't know enough. May I ask you a question? Yes. Are you lost? Yes. Do you know what to do to obey the gospel of Christ and be saved? Yes. Then guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Congratulations. You know enough. Well, I'm afraid that I can't live it right. Oh, really? May I ask you a question? Who made you God? Who made you Christ? Because that's the only perfectness we know. Ladies and gentlemen, if we could live it good enough, well, we need the grace of God. Even if we could live it good enough, Luke 17, 10 reminds us that when we have done all that we are commanded to do, we say we are unprofitable servants. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I may not be able to live it good enough, but if I can live it redeemed under the Savior's blood, that's good enough for me. If I can live it faithful for my Lord, that's good enough for me. Knowledge. We grow in that knowledge. Search in the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. John five thirty nine. I love those in Berea who were more noble than those in Thessalonica, according to Acts seventeen ten and eleven, in that they search, they received the word with readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. And even in this same letter of Second Peter, near the end, last verse, the exhortation, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We move in that knowledge. Now, from knowledge, there goes temperance or self-control. We don't live the way we lived before, and we grow, and we mature, and we grow in self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. From temperance, there's patience. Or the ability of endurance to hold up under whatever the pressure and strife might be. That patience that keeps us going on. That endurance that we're reminded of Matthew 10, That he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. You see, it holds us up. It keeps us going. Now watch godliness. I love the word godliness. Godliness means that you are able to be held up as you endure. As you walk a life of self-control and knowledge. You see, do you get the growing here the whole time? You see what God gives us to supply us? 1 Timothy 2 and verses 1 and 2. Speaking of prayers and supplications. Supplications, supply. Father, supply unto me what I need. Godliness is that idea that God will hold us up. I think about in 1 Timothy 6 11. To flee those things and to follow among righteousness and others, godliness. Know that it will hold us up. Godliness brings forth, and we see that brotherly kindness. 
You see, while we are being held up and supplied by our Father, we are blessed to be around others who are supplied and helped us and help us by our Father. Several years ago, one of our elders' wives lost her mother. Sister Price, she was a doll, a lovely woman. I'll tell you what, if she knew I was coming to see her, she would sit at her living room window and she'd watch for me. I got out of the truck one day finishing a phone call. I walked in the door. She said, I saw you on that telephone. I thought, you know, I better behave myself. She was a wonderful lady. Wonderful lady. Could fix a mean cup of coffee. You could peel wallpaper with her coffee. That, I'm telling you, that coffee was strong. She said, Jeff, you might want to water it down. I did a little. It was strong stuff. It'd make a truck driver take a dirt road. But, folks, she was a lovely lady. When she passed, I'll never forget, her daughter, Sister Betty, one of our elders' wives, said, Jeff, how in the world do people make it without a church family? You ever wondered about that? How in the world can people make it without their brothers and sisters in the Lord? You know, in some of my lowest moments of life, my brothers and sisters have been there. And in some of their lowest moments of life, I've tried to be there. We all have. I got word of a beloved sister in the Lord, a beloved brother in the Lord, sweet couple, one of the finest godly couples I know. Sadly, she miscarried with one of their children. I believe it's their third, another fourth one. She miscarried. Families there, it's very difficult today. I can't be there in person, but I can be there in prayer. When you and I take a look at what is all supplied, there is nothing going better today than the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherein are the saved and where we can have and additions of grace that is supplied to help us get through the trying moments and to rejoice in every moment. Let the church say amen. How blessed we are to have that relationship. Would you consider with me from verses 8 through 10... Not only additions of grace, but consider, if you will, abundance of grace. Notice some highlights in this one with me. How about fruitful lives? You see, these things we mentioned that supplies will make us neither be barren nor unfruitful, but rather fruitful in what we are to do. Bearing fruit for Christ, John 15. 1 through 8, telling others the message of Christ. Letting them see what is there to supply them in what they need to do. How about when we think about forgiveness? Here's one that if he lacks those things, what is supplied, that he has forgotten he was purged or forgiven from his old sins. I hope that day never comes. I may not be what I want to be, but I'm thankful that I'm not what I used to be. I'm grateful for the forgiveness. Forgiveness not only when I obeyed the gospel, Acts 2 and verse 38, when my sins were remitted at baptism, remission of sins, 
No sweeter thing can a soul hear that's battle cancer than your cancer is in remission. Means it's moved on. When one comes out of the waters of baptism, you know what sin is done? For the Walter sin has moved on. It's no longer there. Baptism puts us into Christ. Galatians 3.27 Washes away our sins. Prompts us to walk in the light as He is in the light. 1 John 1.7 And that when we sin, 1 John 2.1 and 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And verse 9 of 1 John 1, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess our sins as Christians. You see, we don't need to forget that. See, we're fruitful. We are forgiven. Notice this word. And we are for certain. Making our calling and election sure. For certain. And if we do those things, take advantage of the supply, we will never fall. We make our calling and our election sure. Make it certain. Make it guaranteed. The earnest of our inheritance, Ephesians 1.13. Notice with me the third thing. Not only additions of grace and an abundance of grace, but I want you to notice in verse 11 that there is also an abundance of or abundance for grace, number two, an abundance of grace. Notice, if you will, carefully with me, to make our calling sure. How is one called? Someone asked me once, they said, Preacher, when were you called? Define calling. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say that every Christian is a called individual, according to Second Thessalonians 2.14, in obedience, one is called by the gospel. And we answer. You see, there's that abundance into the kingdom because of the calling of the gospel. How about election? That's not a John Calvin denominationalism point of view that we are elected and nothing you can do can be elected and either you are or you're not. But when you and I look at texts such as Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, and we see even in Peter's writing in 1 Peter chapter 1 of the elect of God, how we are the elect, the chosen through God's scheme of redemption through His Son Christ. You see, not only... The mind of Christ serves the mind of Christ. It supplies. It gives us that additions of grace, the abundance of grace, and the abundance for grace, and the abundance of grace into that everlasting kingdom when we leave this earth. So what do you and I have? A reply to hypocrisy, quite simple, ladies and gentlemen is when every Christian possesses the mind of Christ as a servant and to know where he or she gets their daily supply from. 
You think about it. What other way can we give a reply to hypocrisy than to have a faithful, godly life? What other way can we give an answer to a individual that wishes to speak out against the church instead of using the hypocrisy lines that if we respond in faithful living, folks, a good old saying, you won't even give them a leg to stay above. There's our reply to hypocrisy. It's under being a revival to faithfulness. Am I the servant God wants me to be? And am I taking advantage of the abundance and the supplies that God has granted for me to live faithfully? It's easy sometimes to move away from the servant and to think that we're owed something. We should never think that. When Jesus paid it all, what we do owe Him is a faithful life in obedience to His will. Just like God did earlier tonight. Maybe the last hour you thought of that, young brother, and you're thinking, if He made that decision, it's time that I make that decision. I believe in God. I will repent of my sins. I will confess Jesus as the Son of God. I am going to be buried with him in baptism tonight. And you can begin a faithful walk for our Lord. And you can begin the life of a servant for Christ. And to possess that mind of Christ. And to reach for and turn into a further supply of his grace and his goodness to the knowledge You can do that tonight. You don't have to wait. You can do that tonight. But now let me ask you, brother and sister, in our revival of faithfulness, are you the servant God wants you to be? Can the world see Christ in you? Can the world see an opportunity for the gospel to be Are you and I reaching for the supply of God grants us? Or have we found our lives corrupt? Have we found ourselves struggling? Dear brother, dear sister, I'm glad you're here tonight because we are a place where we don't throw stones as long as we stand up in a rock. And we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We've walked We've all been there. And we'll stay with you. Whatever your need is, it doesn't matter to obey the gospel or ask for prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever it is, don't do it. Come down, sister.